Hello, everybody. Um, right. I'm thinking my wife might walk in at some point. She's come over from Belfast this morning and she's on the train to Down and Market as we speak, so she may come through the door at some point this morning. I'm going to um, focus a little bit on 2 Samuel today, and um, I'm calling this Four Servants of the King, Four Characteristics of a Kingdom. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use this word um, to speak to us. Well, I pray that you will help us to listen to what you want to say. And Lord, that, um, that you will bless us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, this is a difficult period in King David's reign. Um, as you probably know, he was one of Israel's greatest kings, obviously. He uh, defeated Goliath earlier on in his life, got the kingdom, and had to fight a lot in, in the early days, but eventually he secured peace. God gave him victory on every side and a period of stability um, descended on the kingdom. So while he knew peace in the land and the borders of Israel were at their greatest during his kingdom, he never knew peace within his own family. Um, his sons conspired against him and they generally behaved badly. He wasn't very good at controlling his family, even though he could control his kingdom. A bit ironic there. Three of his sons were to die violently um, as a result of what they did. And the most serious threat to David's throne came from his son Absalom, who by then had already murdered his eldest brother, um, Amnon, um, because he didn't like how Amnon had behaved, so he murdered him. And Absalom's conspiracy was planned uh, very carefully. It took four years to come to fruition. And he deceitfully won over the hearts of the Israelites, really by telling them what they wanted to hear and by undermining his father's authority. Now, David had actually been very merciful to him because under the law, when it turned out that Absalom had murdered his brother, he should have been put to death for that crime. Um, but instead... Uh, David let him go into exile and then after a period of time he allowed him to come back to Jerusalem again. So really he didn't um, exercise the judgment that he should have done at that time because he had a bit of a soft spot for Absalom. Um, Absalom I think could well have been his favourite son. He was very good looking, he was very handsome, he was very charming that's why he was able to win over the hearts of the Israelites. And so David rather spoilt him and literally let him get away with murder. So 
he saw in his father this weakness and so he decided that he would seize the throne for himself. But of course he didn't, he reckoned really without God's promise to David about him being on that throne. So I just want to start in 2 Samuel 15 and um, this, this is where this conspiracy begins. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. This is all lies. While your servant was living at Geshur in Aram, that's when he was in exile, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. So really Absalom was taking advantage of his father's goodwill and he disguises his act of treachery as an act of piety. It sort of shows what he's willing to descend to. And it was a well-planned conspiracy, and so it plunged the kingdom really into a great crisis and a civil war. And um, what I want to talk about this morning is how different people known to David behaved during this time of crisis, how his servants reacted, how his servants and his friends and his advisors and those who knew him reacted when he was facing this great crisis and this threat to his throne. Um, so I've got four of them. And the first one, the characteristic that I want to talk about in this servant is openness. He's loyal He's devoted, um, even though actually there were good reasons why he shouldn't be. And his name was Ittai the Gittite. That was his name, Ittai the Gittite. And he was a Philistine. So historically he was an enemy of David's. Um, and yet at this point, when David was at his point of greatest need, um, he led out 600 men to support David. And when David saw this, um, he said this to him. He said to Ittai the Gittite, Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You're a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday, and today I shall make you wander about with us when I do not know where I'm going. Go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. There's a little bit of an echo there of, of what Ruth said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, um, when she was willing to go away from her homeland into a foreign place, that she would go with her and be with her wherever she was. Hello, darling. 
I prophesied your arrival. <laughs> and it came to pass, so there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, Ittai, he, he was open with David and he was willing to follow him and serve him, even though he had no reason to at all. Um, and those who are faithful and stand up to be counted, even in troubled times, those people please God and he blesses them. Because when a crisis comes, and it comes to all of us at various points, we always have a choice in how we react to that. And we're likely to revert to type when that happens and behave as we habitually do. So if we're loyal and faithful to Jesus in the good times, then it's likely that we'll continue to be loyal and faithful to him when things start to get difficult for us. Um, But people who treat Jesus quite casually when things are going well and take him for granted are likely to struggle when things start getting difficult. So I think it's one of the things we can do is just reflect on how, what is our attitude like to Jesus actually? Do we, do we take him for granted or are we really devoted to him? So that's the first one, this open, honest, devoted servant who at David's moment of crisis comes to support him. And David fleed Jerusalem, it got too dangerous for him there, and he went up into the hills with his loyal supporters and actually ended up climbing up the Mount of Olives. And in his anguish, he was praying to God on the Mount of Olives. So we read about this in chapter 15. David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. And of course... This again, um, it kind of precursors what happened a thousand years later during Jesus' greatest crisis when he was doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same place. And here on Palm Sunday as we're moving into Holy Week, it would be appropriate just to read to you from Luke 22 where it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So quite a parallel there. Um, The second servant I want to talk about um, 
the characteristic of this servant is obedience. And he's waiting for David on the Mount of Olives and he's really an answer to David's prayer. Um, and his name is Hushai the Archite. They all have good names, don't they, these people? Um, and he was one of David's loyal advisors and a personal friend. So he was happy, like Ittai the Gittite, to stay with David and go wherever he wanted him to. But David had other plans for him. So when he saw Hushai the Archite um, up there on the Mount of Olives, he said this to him. It says, when David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the Archite was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. That was a sign of grief. David said to him, if you go with me, you'll be a burden to me. Not much of a welcome, is it really? But there you go. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I'll be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Ahithophel had a real uh, reputation for wisdom. He'd been a great advisor to David. So it was a huge personal loss for David that he had gone over to Absalom's side, a real betrayal because he'd put a lot of trust in Ahithophel and he really relied on his wisdom. And he knew that if he was advising Absalom, he'd be giving him really good advice and he wanted to frustrate that. So in Hushai the Archite, he saw a way through to do that. Um, so he was really being quite practical in saying, if you stay here, you'll just be a burn to me, but if you go back into Jerusalem and join Absalom, you might be able to make a difference. Um, and David knew that he could trust him and that he wouldn't let him down. And so... Um, Hushai was willing, even though in some ways it was a bit dangerous to go to the enemy's camp, uh, because obviously he was well known as a personal friend of David and things could have gone badly for him, but he was willing because he was obedient to the king to do what David asked him to do. And sometimes God will ask us to do things which seem a bit uncomfortable and really asking us to go out on a bit of a limb and make ourselves vulnerable. Um, so it's one thing for us to trust God, but can he trust us? That's the question, isn't it, really? Can he rely on us to be obedient when he asks us to do something, um, just as Hushai the Archite was willing to be obedient to David and to go back into Jerusalem um, to see if he could become another advisor to Absalom? And the thing is that God will only ask us to do things when he's going to assure us of that that's, that's going to be good. You know, in the long run, it will work out well if we're obedient to what he asks us to do. Um, he's not going to ask us to do something so we're going to fall flat on our faces. He's going to equip us to do the thing that he wants us to do. Um, so even though we might feel a bit uncomfortable... It might feel a bit difficult. Actually, he wouldn't be asking us to do it if he didn't know we could do it, because that's why he's asked us to do it. That's why we're the one he's asked, not somebody else, because he's going to enable us to do it. And um, 
and so Hushai goes down to see Absalom. And this is what happens when they meet. Then Hushai the archite, David's confidant, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, So this is the love you show your friend? If he's your friend, why didn't you go with him? Hushai said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people and by all the men of Israel, his I will be and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son, just as I served your father? So I will serve you. And Absalom liked a bit of flattery. He was wrapped up in his own deceit. He didn't see the warning signs, and so he took Hushai at his word. He allowed him to charm him into believing that he was quite happy to betray David, because obviously Absalom had been quite happy to betray David. And so he he took him into his inner circle. And soon Hushai had an opportunity to contradict the wise advice that Ahithophel was giving to David. You see, Ahithophel said to, sorry, Absalom, Ahithophel said to Absalom, you need to strike now while you've got the advantage. You need to go up there now uh, and kill David um, because he'll be tired, he'll be weak, he'll be disorientated. Now, you know, strike now while you can. So that was the advice, and that was wise advice. That was the right advice. Um, But Hushai um, cleverly played on David's reputation as a fearless fighter when he was younger. So he said to Absalom, no, what you need to do, you need to muster a huge army first because you won't be able to defeat David with the small number you've got here. You need a huge army to take him on. Um, and then you'll definitely have an overwhelming victory. And so Absalom went with Hushai's advice, and that bought David some time, and he was able to regain his strength and to, to rebuild. And it says in verse 14, For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. So it worked, exactly as David had hoped it worked. There's a bit of a postscript here because um, Ahithophel, um, like Judas, when he realised the game was up, it says in um, chapter 17, when Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, He saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. So he he realised that um, because they hadn't gone with his advice that there was going to be disaster and he probably brought home to him actually how he had betrayed David and he couldn't live with himself and so he killed himself just like Judas. The third person I want to talk to you about is somebody called Zeba, and his characteristic is opportunism. He saw 
in this crisis um, an opportunity for him to gain. So from a selfish point of view, while David was down, he felt, right, I can gain, I can make something out of this. And so what he did was he put together a load of provisions and he went out to see David. Now Ziba was the steward of Saul's grandson. Saul was a king before David. Saul lost the kingdom. And he had a grandson called Mephibosheth, who was the son of David's great friend Jonathan. Jonathan had been very, um, David had been very friendly with Jonathan, who was Saul's son. And Jonathan was killed in the same battle that Saul was killed in. And so he, he had an orphan son called Mephibosheth. And David uh, committed to looking after the son, providing for him. And he put this steward in, in his household to make sure that he was okay. Because he was disabled. He, he couldn't walk. Um, so he needed support. And so Zeba comes across as being just as loyal and devoted as um, those previous two servants, Ittai the Gittite and Hushai the Archite, uh, because he meets David, he's got a load of stuff for him, but actually there's an ulterior motive, which we will notice when I read to you what it says here in chapter 16. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, there was Zeba, the steward of Mehebosheth, the grandson of Saul, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs and a skin of wine. The king asked Zeba, why have you brought these? Zeba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who became exhausted in the wilderness. And the king then asked, where is your master's grandson? Zeba said to him, and here's the crunch, he is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the Israelites will restore to me my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Zeba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Zeba said. May I find favour in your, in your eyes, my lord the king. So there you can see his sort of opportunism throws Mephibosheth under the bus and um, comes out of it looking good. Um, made a big show of bringing all these provisions to David and all the rest of it. Um, but actually, what we know about Mehibosheth is that he was like his father, who was a very decent person. Um, and whereas Saul um, just wanted to hold on to the kingdom, whatever the cost, and fought David for it, Jonathan was quite happy for David to become king because he could see that that was God's will. So this son of Jonathan had no ambition and in fact he would have been incredibly naive if he believed that the reason why Absalom overthrew David was simply to give the kingdom back to this crippled grandson of Saul. Um, ridiculous. And if David had been more in his right senses, he would have seen through Zeba, but he got him when he was at his weakest. And that's what opportunists do. 
they strike when you're at your weakest and they just want to get what they can out of the situation. They come across as all, yes, I'm with you, I'm on your side, you know, and they're knifing you in the back, you know, um, at the same time. And that's exactly what Zeba was like. Um, and so, of course, he was quite happy because he got, he got everything at that point, so he was feeling very happy with himself. And so we, I think, you know, naturally we we kind of feel antagonism towards Zebra in, in the way that he's behaving. Um, but before we become too righteous or self-righteous, I think sometimes we just need to think a little bit about how we behave sometimes in certain situations. And um, are we as selfless and um, thinking only of others the whole time in how, how we do things? I don't know. Um, again, it's just good to reflect sometimes because God will will give us duties and responsibilities. Zeba was given a duty to look after Jonathan's son and he abused that position of trust that he had been given. And we may sometimes be given responsibility and it's important that we know that we're doing that for the glory of God and not for anything else not allow our pride or our greed or anything else to get in the way of what God has asked us to do. Uh, just something we need to think about. So, that's that one. And then the final one, the fourth servant, is somebody who displays the characteristic of opposition, who makes no pretense of being for David, who's very much against him. So in a way he's honest, um, but honest in being opposed and seizing the opportunity to kick him while he's down, which isn't necessarily a very good thing either. And his name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he was actually from the family of Saul, so you can understand why he was gloating. And we'll read what he said. As King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from then. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. He cursed. Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son, Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. <laughs> That's just what you need, isn't it? <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, so that was who he met. Um, he speaks half-truths. That's a tactic that the devil likes to use to make us feel even more depressed than we were before. Um, because, yes, I mean, obviously there was bloodshed, Saul did die, David was the beneficiary of that and all the rest of it, but not in the way that he portrayed it. Um, so what Shimei is saying to David is that God has given up on him because of the violence of his reign and he's handed it to his son Absalom. So just as God seized the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to David when Saul didn't um, come up to the mark. Shimei is saying to David, well, now he's taking it away from you because you didn't come up to the mark either. 
Um, and, and so there's half-truths in that, and if you're feeling vulnerable, you might kind of believe what he's saying to you, um, because David knew what had happened to Saul, but deep down in his own heart, he knows that actually he's for the Lord, so that's the difference. He knows that. To curse a ruler was an offence against the law at that time, punishable by death, so what um, Shimei was doing was treasonous, and one of David's aides wanted to um, strike him down there and then for abusing the king. But David stayed his hand and he said this. He said to Abishai, that was the one who wanted to kill Shimei and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. That's Absalom. How much more then this Benjamite Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David's kind of holding out some hope. He's not allowing these lies to get to him. He's still believing that the right thing will happen. Um... Now, I don't suppose any of us would actively oppose the work of God, um, but sometimes we can be a bit tactless in the things that we say to people. Um, Sometimes we're not very good at encouraging people when we could be, or sometimes we're sort of pouring cold water on what people are trying to do. Um, So, again, I think it's just worth thinking about that. what we say is important. People remember our words. That's something I've learned over the years. That you know, somebody will come back to you years later and say, "Do you remember when you said that?" And um, I don't. <laughs> but um, usually, it's 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 something encouraging that I said, which is nice. But I do remember once somebody came to me and said, "Do you remember you said that?" <laughs> I said, oh, "No, I didn't." And they said, well, actually, I, I did do that sort of thing. And so, you know, uh, they reminded me that I had got it wrong. And so we just need to think sometimes about how we, how we speak to people and um, try to encourage people and be positive, not like that man who was so horrible to David. Now, ultimately, Absalom's rebellion was thwarted and David regained his throne after a very difficult period. And actually, Absalom died quite an ignominious death. As I said, he was very handsome, and he was very proud of his golden locks. He had long golden locks, which he used to wave around, and everybody said how wonderful he was. And um, so he was on his horse going through a forest, and his golden locks got caught in the overhanging branches, and the horse carried on, and he was left dangling, by his hair, and then the um, the ruler of David's army came along and put a spear through him, and that was the end of Absalom. So even though David actually, even then, after all that, he had still said to them, "Be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake." So even after all Absalom had done to betray him and to seize his throne, David still didn't want them to treat him harshly. 
he really didn't have very good judgment about his own family and he paid a heavy price for that indulgence of his sons. And when the news came to him that Absalom had been killed, he was, he was grief-stricken. He was so grief-stricken that they had to actually chide him and say, look, your army has just fought a battle for you to restore you to your throne, and all you can do is weep over the person who caused all the trouble, you know. You, you need to support your soldiers, not think about him. And they, they chastised David and brought him to his senses. So this, this dark period in David's rule, even though he wasn't threatened from outside by neighbouring countries, his kingdom was secure from that point of view. It was his own family that provided the greatest threat to his kingdom. It was a time of betrayal and bloodshed, but it was also a time of courage and faithfulness on the part of some of his servants. And I've just looked at four characteristics there. Um, two positive ones, the openness and obedience of the first two servants, and two negative ones, the opportunism and opposition of the other two. And these are all things that we can do in our own Christian walk. We can be open, we can be obedient, or we can be opportunistic, and we can be opposite to how we should be. So there's all choices that we have. We can choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, our King, wherever he leads us and whatever he asks us to do, or we can compromise and we can do things a bit half-heartedly, on our own terms, only when it suits us. And at worst, we can just dig our heels in and defy him completely. So during this coming Holy Week, I'm glad you've all got your palm crosses. I think that's great, because that's like a symbol, isn't it, of what's to come. Um... I think it's a good time when we're retracing Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives and the cross, really for us to take stock, just as that's what Lent's for, really. And just to be sure that in every way that we are on the Lord's side, that we're with him um, in what we do and what we say. God promised him... Um, God promised David when he gave him his throne that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne of Israel. Um, such was David standing in his eye. And David's line led directly to Jesus. So Jesus is one of David's descendants. Um, and he's our everlasting Lord and King. So I just think this is a good week to be reflecting on our own behaviour, our own attitude to the Lord, how we conduct ourselves in our faith and to take stock and to think about which of those four characteristics most describes the way that we behave in our faith. Let's just think about that for a moment.
Lord Jesus, we remember this week how you willingly went to Jerusalem knowing that you were going to die for all the people. We thank you, Lord, that you took upon yourself our sins so that we could come into a relationship with you, that we could know your love and your peace and your healing in our hearts. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you yet, um, who hasn't made that decision to go with you, I pray that this week they would, that they would offer their heart to you and receive your forgiveness for everything that's wrong in their lives, that they would turn away from sin, that they repent, and that they would come to you and know that relief that comes through casting our burdens upon you and not having to carry them around with us the whole time. So if there's anybody here who's in that position, Lord, I pray that you would touch their heart, that you would speak to them and invite them to walk with you on that road to Calvary to know how you died for them and to give their hearts to you. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would be those who are obedient, those who are open with you, those who want to serve you wholeheartedly, who are devoted to you, who are willing to go with you, even though that may be a path of sorrows, may not always be a walkway of joy. I pray, Lord, that we would still be willing to go with you as your servants just as those two that we've been hearing about today were willing to go with David and to do what he asked them to do. Help us, Lord, to be willing to walk with you. And may we not give in to the temptation of being opportunistic, um, of being selfish, of seizing opportunities because we're going to get something out of it rather than thinking about bringing glory to you. And also, Lord, may we not find ourselves as those who are opposing your work, even if with the best intentions. May we check ourselves before we open our mouths and help us, Lord, to be wanting to support all that you're doing and to encourage those who are working for you. In Jesus' name, amen.